0: Lord, we just come before you. We ask you to guide and lead us today as we get into your word. We ask that you, Holy Spirit, just settles on us and and guides. And we thank you in your son's precious name. Amen. Psalm 102. A prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto you. Hide not your face from me in the day that I am in trouble. Incline your ear unto me in the day... When I call, call, answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as, a, as, a, as an heath. My heart is smitten and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of my voice, of my groaning, groaning my bones cleave to my skin. I am like a pelican in the wilderness, and am like an owl in the desert. I watch, and I am as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. My enemies reproach me all the day, and they that are mad against me are sworn against me. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping. Because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me down. My days are like a shadow that declines, and I am withered like grass. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever in your remembrance unto all generations. You shall rise and have mercy upon Zion for. The time of favor her, yea, the set time is come. For your servant takes pleasure in her stones and savors the dust thereof, favors the dust thereof. So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth by your glory. When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. This shall be written for the generation to come, and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. For he has looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven did the Lord behold the earth. To hear the groaning of the prisoner, to loose those that are appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem. When the people are gathered together in the kingdoms to serve the Lord, he weakened my strength in the way, he shortened my days. I said, O Lord, take not away in the midst of my days, for, my, for your years are throughout all generations. Of old have you laid down the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They shall perish, but you shall en- endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shall you tra- change them, and they shall be changed. But you are the same, and your years shall have no end. The children of your servants shall continue, and their seed shall be established before you." So we're going to look at this one. This says it's a prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before the Lord. And this is talking about somebody who's under sore problems. And it says that when he is overcome, he pours out his complaint. And that is actually good advice. When we are tested or tried or we're running into trouble, we need to call out to God, be be, uh, pouring our complaints out to him. Because actually, he's the only one that given a complaint to does any good. If we complain to each other, there's not a thing we can do to help each other. You know, how many times have you had somebody complaining to you, or you've heard the statement better yet, it doesn't do any good to complain, it doesn't. And in reality, we need to learn that if we're going to complain to one another, it does no good to complain to one another. If we put our complaints to God, he can at least do something about what's going on and it's a way to way to uh, and, uh, get his attention. And verse 1 says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto you. This is the cry of the person who is afflicted, because usually when we're being in great pain and trials, we almost feel that God's not going to listen to us, unless we know the scriptures real well. But you've been there probably where you kind of think, well, god just is not listening to me any, anymore or you at least think that he's not have you ever had those times when you're praying and it's like nothing is getting through to god it's just like bouncing off the ceiling and coming right back down and we need to be careful that we don't let our emotions lie to us during those times and tell us that we're wasting our time because it is a test. it is a trial we were watching god's not dead too and uh last night at home and at one point, the the lady who's on trial goes, "My, I keep praying, and God doesn't seem to be speaking to me." And she goes, "He always speaks to me." And her father goes, because she's a teacher, goes, "You should know more better than anybody that when the when the test is given, the teacher is silent." And it's kind of an interesting statement, because when a test is given, you're not supposed to be speaking and giving answers because it is a test. So when we are in the middle of the test, we may have those times when it sounds like to us or feels like to us that God is not answering. Because we're in the middle of the trial. He wants to say, do you believe what, we've been te- what, we, what you've been learning? And it's time for us just to say, I believe it. And this is why I tell you so often when, when things are going wrong in my life, I just turn to God and go, God, I don't understand it. But you've promised it's for, for good. And we don't have to understand everything, we just need to trust that God is telling us the truth. And those are very important times when we're being tested to be able to say, God, you are true, my feelings are lying to me, Satan is lying to me, the world is lying to me, but you are true. And we sit down and we just allow him to be true. Now is that an easy thing? Of course not, it wouldn't be a test if it was an easy thing. But the more we do it, the easier it gets to be able to just come back and say, God, I'm going to believe you. I don't understand it. I, it's hard, I'm gonna, but I'm going to believe you. I'm going to believe that you're going to meet all my needs. I'm going to believe that it's all, all for good. I'm going to believe that you are the one that loves me enough to make sure that nothing bad happens to me long term. Mm-hmm. And even if it's long term, it's still God's grace you all have been reading the, the hiding place and that was not an easy life for most of her family. Most of her family died in the in the prison camps and she then went uh, Corrie went on to to live and I think her brother was the only one that lived out of that whole thing and she was able to minister to God and learned forgiveness and that was pretty hard for her when she had to learn forgiveness and faced came face to face with the meanest guard that made her life miserable <laughs> And that was a really big deal for her. And we look at this, God is giving us a test. And he's saying, I'm going to see, do you trust me? And when we're in the middle of those and we pray out, sometimes it sounds it feels like God's not listening. And we see this over and over in the Psalms. Uh, Hear me, God, answer my, attend to me, listen to me. It's a routine that's going on, but the Psalms pretty much that we've been hitting so far have been those when there's trial in your life and struggle in your life, we call out to God. And He's going to answer. He's, going to, he, he's given us the strength. And this is important for us to always understand. God is going to give us the grace we need to go through whatever He get put, allows us to go through. And He will give it to us when we need it and not before. This is one of the things sometimes I've contemplated. You know, How will I react if somebody says... You know deny Jesus or die well I think I would say go ahead and let me die but until you face that point into your life you don't know for sure what you're going to do and God needs to give you the grace to say let me die or you have so much truth into you that you just do it automatically the disciples had that Peter didn't have it when the crucifixion but he had it real strong 50 days later when he was standing up at Pentecost and preaching the gospel very strongly And then getting beat and all these other things that followed thereafter. So God will give us the grace we need when we need it. He will give us the strength we need when we're leaning on him. Now if we try to lean on our own strength, we'll fall. It's guaranteed because as I've said, God's test is designed to break our strength. We have to be turning to God and saying, God, I need you. God, I want to be yoked to you. You take this test. You take this pressure. You take this trial. And I'm just following you. The moment we take our eyes off him, just like Peter did when he walked on the water, he he took his eyes off Jesus, looked around at the storm, and started sinking. And immediately looked back to Jesus and said, Help, and Jesus lifted him up. And then criticized his lack of faith. (laughs) But he still helped him. This is where God is. Even when we start sinking or start falling, we can call out to him and he'll lift us back up. He may give us a little critical, you know, you failed this test, but let's go ahead wait till the next one. You'll pass the next one. But we want to be looking at, he wants to hear us. Verse 2 says, hide not your face from me in the day when I am troubled. Incline your ear unto me in the day when I call. Answer me speedily. Now this is kind of an interesting statement he goes don't hide your face in many ways this does sound like David David seemed to have this idea that God when he got mad at him hid himself away until repentance came but you know this seems to be the problem even with Christians in our day everybody always seems to think that God is mad at them for what they've done wrong now I believe that God is sad now if you're gonna stay consistently perpetually committing a sin, you might get some anger from him. But you know, when you fail, God is more sad than anything because he's prepared you for the test that you failed. And if you've ever done any teaching and had to give a test, the worst thing in the world is when the students fail. Because you have to figure out, did I do a bad job teaching or did they just do a bad job implementing the test? And so there's a little bit of sadness when a test is failed. Because you say, I've poured myself into this student, and this is not where they're supposed to be. They should have known this. And then you try to figure out how you can do it better. God is not hiding his face. God is not running away from us when we go through hard times. He is right there observing us, watching us, letting us take the test. And we need to be able to understand the test is when he is allowing us to see what do we know. And, I, and as I said a couple weeks ago, I, I love the teachers that I've had that it, they, they give you opportunities to show your knowledge <laughs> rather than tests. And this is really what God does for us. He says, gives us opportunities to check, check him out and see, are we learning? And actually, he's not trying to see if we've learned, but he's trying to show us what we, what we actually believe or don't believe. Because God already knows what we're going to do. He already knows how we're going to react but we have this ability to tell ourselves that I would never fail in this area, God. Well, if you start thinking that, I can guarantee you're going to have a test and you're going to fail. It's just an automatic. I know that's going to happen. I've seen it in many lives. I've seen it in my own life. If you tell God that I, can, I will not fail in this area, you will count on falling in that area at some point in the very near future. Because God's not going to let our flesh stand, number one. He's not going to let us take credit for walking a spiritual life. And he's going to show us that we're not as strong as we think we are without him. And he can design that test, the perfect circumstances to bring us in and catch us at the weakest moment. And watch us fall if we're not willing to turn to him. And most of it is so that we will stop lying to ourselves. God, I totally believe that all things work together for good. Well, if you totally believe that, then he's going to test. How well do you believe that all things work together for good? And when I get tested on, on bad things because of how much I believe that verse, the things that hit me hit me pretty hard. And it's like, okay, God. And I know that there's been many times when I'm hanging on to the end of that promise on, with, for dear life saying, God, I don't understand it. But you said it's for good you've said it is for good not necessarily remember not necessarily for my good but for the good of somebody and we need to be aware of this when we are being tested we step back and just say god you're in you're in control you are in control and then he says when i call answer me speedily now that's pretty bold <laughs> of this psalmist god uh, when i call i want you to answer quickly Maybe God doesn't want to answer quickly. It may be that he is wanting us to learn some patience, wanting us to learn that he is in control, whatever it might be. We need to be careful of these type of thought patterns because we all want answers, not even today, we want them yesterday, usually. You now, God, I want this air. You know, could you please, could could you have answered it yesterday? If not, answer it right away. Right away, God. Right away, God. We are a very impatient people usually. We do not like to wait. And even those who seem to like to wait don't like to wait. And, if you know, they may be able to wait longer than other people, but they're still impatient. And on one side, it kind of makes sense because we only have 80 to 120 years to live, you know, uh, any any delay is cutting into our lifespan. <laughs> and God's saying, I'm going to answer it in my time. And my time is the perfect time. Why is his time the perfect time? Because he sees and knows everything that's coming as well. And he knows what we need to go through. The more we can rest in the fact that God is knows what we need to do and, and go through, the easier our trials are. Because we know and become very confident that God is not trying to hurt us. I have heard so many people, even Christians, well, I don't understand why God's hurting me so bad. He's not hurting you. He's, he's helping you. He's strengthening you. He's building you up. And I know that sometimes it feels like he's hurting us. It, it really feels sometimes when you're in the middle of trials, like, God, you, have you lost control? And you think that for a moment and you go, no, you haven't lost control, it's for good. But I know the thoughts that pop through your head, you know, God, you've somehow lost control. This just doesn't make any sense. And that's why, like I said, sometimes I just have, holding on to that promise, God, you said it's for good. God, you're sovereign, you're in control. I don't understand any of this, but you know what you're doing. And the minute you start really believing that God knows what he's doing, life becomes a whole lot easier. Because you don't have to worry about what's coming in the future. You don't have to worry about what may happen, what might happen, what is happening. You just let God deal with it. As he said in Peter, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Most of our problems come and we forget that God is of personal interest in us. And we start thinking, well, and I've heard people say, well, he's so busy. Why, why would he care for me? Well, because he is able to do it. when you're trying? God has still got a plan for it. He still has a plan for it. He's still going to give you the grace to go through it. Because if he didn't give you the grace to go through it, he would have just given you the mercy not to go through the consequences. But yes, those are the harder ones. Those are the harder ones to deal with. When you deserve what you're getting, those are the harder ones to, to say God still knows what's going on and that it's for good because all things work together for good not just the things that God sends to you not the things that I did right even when I totally mess up and it's my fault that I'm going through something all things work together for good even if I deserve it because of my mistakes it's still going to work out for good and my experience over my years have been down the road it at least makes me empathetic to somebody else who is going through something that they caused because that's the hardest people for us even to, to feel sorry for. Then when they deserve what they're getting. They used intravenous drugs for, for years and they ended up with AIDS and all kinds of diseases. It's real hard sometimes to feel sorry for them or to empathize with them because they've got what they deserve for what they did. And yet God is saying, I want you to love them because it's going to work for good. They're going to do something and somehow. But even when we deserve things, God still uses it for good. Now how he uses it for good is up to him. I don't know how he uses it for good. And, I, and I've told you all the, the, well, the greatest example I have of him using things for good was when I was on had gout for a period of six months and I was in pain the whole time and still doing things. And then later on, about a year later, somebody said that I had inspired them because it was obvious that I was in pain. Was the, was the gout for my good? Not really. It was for somebody else's good. I still suffered a lot of pain and it hurt and didn't sleep well for that period of time. But somebody else was inspired to serve God better. We don't necessarily know what we're going through, how it will help somebody else. It can just be simply to make me empathetic with somebody else to say, you know, I don't know exactly your pain, but I know what it feels like to have pain and be able to build them up to continue to serve God. I don't know how this works, but but this, you know, and it gives us. The whole thing that this is bringing out in the more of God's word we hear, the more of his word that we listen to, the more it influences our life and touches other people's lives because we're applying his word. I've had many conversations in this last week or so where people have talked about having disobeyed God's word, and they don't use it that way. But I'm going, you know, if you just followed God's way in the first place, you wouldn't be facing these issues Later on, now let's try to get back to God's word, which is hard to do when you've disobeyed in the first place. God can block the consequences. I would not count on him blocking the consequences, but he can, in his mercy, block consequences that you deserve. Having said that, like I said, I would not count on him doing that because then you're presuming that God will do it. Much of what we deserve doesn't necessarily come through because of God's mercy. And we need to make sure we understand it's his mercy that he doesn't allow some things to go th- some of the consequences to follow. But he did put the laws of sowing and reaping in so that you need to count on when you do something wrong, sowing the consequence, uh, reaping the consequences for it. Now, in his mercy, sometimes he does not l- make you reap the consequences, if you've received godly counsel on something and you decide not to obey the godly counsel, I can almost guarantee you're going to suffer the consequences because you did your due diligence to find out what you should do and if you didn't do it, then God's gonna say, you have, you have nothing for me to be merciful for. You deserve, not only do you deserve it, but you doubly deserve it because you violated the counsel and the teaching that you had. Could He still give you Mercy, yes, he could still give you mercy, but in those cases, I really wouldn't count on any mercy when you when you've ignored godly counsel and This is something I've seen in many people's lives, especially with younger people, when they go you know fall in love with somebody who's not a Christian and say, "Oh, got to get married to this person. I really think God wants me to No, your lust wants you to. They get married and they suffer the consequences for for that decision and And you're going, well, what did you expect? You ignored us. Now let's try to now try to figure out where you're going to go from here. But we need to be very careful. When we know better and we sin, that is worse than just falling into a sin. Find myself sinning and I wasn't even conscious of it is one thing. But when I know better because of what I've been taught over years or I went out and I literally sought counsel on what I should do and then I did the wrong thing, those are really bad place to be. Because when you go to ask God for forgiveness, and please don't let the bad things happen to me, He's probably going to look at you and said, you made the bed, now you get to sleep in it. And so we want to be careful with that. Can He give us grace and mercy? Absolutely He can. He can he's God, He can do what He wants to. We don't want to count on that, because if we're going to sin and, and expect Him to give us grace and mercy, we're presuming on Him, and that's not good at all. All right, let's see, verse 3. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned as as an earth, hearth so here he is he's miserable he's just really going through his his days are disappearing like smoke they're consumed like smoke and it says that his bones are burnt or dried as on a hearth or on a fireplace that's pretty burnt and that's pretty dry if you want to dry out a bone real quick put it near you know put it near the hot fi- that close to the hot fire and and it'll dry out very fast this is This whole idea of the the hearth that actually in hebrew is is uh is a firebrand and in actuality according to the eastern bible dictionary it is referring to a faggot and if you know what a faggot is in real terms it's a bundle of wood tied together that so you can carry it and i had to define that because most people only know faggot in its derogatory term format but you want to remember and i don't know how we're going to get on this but Almost every derogatory term has a real meaning behind it. A couple of days ago I used the message that Jesus was called a bastard child and that literally means just a child without a parent and but most people don't understand the the terms behind all these derogatory and uh, inflammatory words which is why I have mentioned this one in its term and what it means. Uh, if you read older books, they will talk about getting ready to go on a trip and they, were, and they gathered faggots of wood. <laughs> and what they did is they grabbed a bunch of wood, tied it all together, put it on their, put it on their packs. So you're learning, learning some words on what it means. So, but this word literally means that he, he feels like he's being burnt as a bundle of sticks. Any However you're looking at it, he's pretty miserable. Verse 4, my heart is smitten. And withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. Now this is—he's really being very poetic in here. His his heart, his inner being is being basically smacked, st- struck, you know, beat. And he says, and it's withered like grass. And if you you know, we don't know much about grass around here, but <laughs> when when grass starts getting, when green grass starts getting. Uh, a lot of sun upon it, it starts to wilt and wither. And if it gets enough sun, it starts to turn brown, melt away. And this is what he's describing. You know, he's basically saying, my life is miserable. And you know, one of the things about it is if we start dwelling on how miserable our life is, it tends to get worse. If we start thinking about how bad things are, we start getting the next bad thing and the next bad thing. And we, and have you ever been there where you've made yourself totally miserable? You were, you, were, you were slightly miserable, and you started concentrating on all the bad things in your life, and you got really miserable, and nothing had really changed in that hour. It was just you started dwelling on all the bad things that are, were, or may happen to you, and you get yourself totally miserable. We need to be able to turn that around, and that's I, I would recommend uh, the song to you, Count Your Blessings. If you, if you are starting to find yourself counting the miseries in your life (laughs) start singing the song count your blessings and start counting your blessings because we do have this habit of being able to look and say well God this has gone wrong this has gone wrong this has gone wrong this has gone wrong and oh by the way maybe this is going wrong and this is going wrong and this is going wrong. before long you are just the most miserable person in the world because nothing's going right and the more we spend time with God looking at his blessings yeah you know, the very fact and I've heard people say it very negatively well I'm on the right side of the earth you know I'm not I'm not six feet <laughs> under like you know is no negative way of looking at it, but you know every day we start a new day is a great blessing we're one day closer to going home We're another day that God has decided that I have a purpose on this world You know, God has plans for you every day that you're alive. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. If He didn't have a plan for you, you wouldn't be here. Our job is, as Blackaby said, to look around, find out what God's doing, and join Him. We all have divine appointments in each day to be able to minister God to people. Now, sometimes we may not recognize this because it may be somebody just looking at us and looking at how faithful we are. And we may not recognize that as a divine appointment. But how many times have you talked to somebody and ended up being able to witness to them? I went with Lynn to the doctor's office the other day and while she was getting her uh, lab work, this lady came in and said she needed a car jump. So we went out, gave it, I gave her a pen and and, uh, we talked about Jesus for a while. A divine appointment. I could have just as easily stayed home and not gone to the doctor's appointment because it didn't have anything to do with me. All I did was sit in a chair, but God had something for me to do by going. I'm interested. How did you start the conversation? Actually, I actually just started talking to her, and I'm going. She goes, "Well, thank you." And she wanted to go. Can I pay you? And I'm going, "No, I don't need to be paid." Uh, you know, that God just gave me the opportunity to help you. And she goes, "Oh, you're a Christian," and you know, so we talked and. And and you never know how things... I mean, the, the key to all of this is just to start talking to people. Because who knows, God will fill your mouth. God will end up filling your mouth because that's what he told the disciples. Don't worry about what you are going to say when you're called before the Sanhedrin, when you're called before the people. The Holy Spirit will fill your mouth. Now, does that mean we get totally unprepared? No, we should probably prepare a little bit so that the Spirit has something to to draw out of us. When I come to teach, half the time I don't teach what I studied, but I study to make sure that there's something there just in case because I don't want to step in here and just say, okay, God, show me what it is and then sit here and look at everybody because there's no plan. Too many times when I, if I try to plan everything I want to say, it never works out anyway, so it is just learn, study. Learn ways to present the gospel, which is why I gave out that insert a couple weeks ago on how to how to use the a couple of different ways of ministry it's important for us to learn just to open our mouth and share with people and you know the more we speak speak out the easier things get the hardest ones are always the first ones when i would go out and do street evangelism i am not a real strong outgoing jump in the fray type person and those first the first person would be the hardest one to you know start with but after you started talking with them the next one got easier and the next one got easier and before like it's like okay who's next (laughs) especially when you start getting a little bit of positive response back a little harder when somebody jumps all over you and starts yelling at you and cursing you out and you know but those ones are also worked on great god got the bad one out of the way (laughs) let's get to the good one now we need to be ready to open up and just share we all tend to fear opening up to share with people but you know it's so strange is It hardly ever is as bad as we think it's going to be. Uh, I've not had somebody beat me up because I tried to share the gospel with them. Not yet. Now, as things get worse, that might happen. But right now, it has never happened that somebody has physically assaulted me for sharing the gospel. They may have verbally assaulted me on a couple of occasions. But you know what? I can shake that off. There's another person out there that needs to hear. But we need to be very careful most of what we fear does not happen and this is something we need to get fully understood because we worry about so much we fear so much and most of what we worry and fear about never happens and many things that they're feared about have never happened and every time I've gone to an evangelism seminar or class Somebody originally, somebody somewhere in there will say, what if they say or do this, that, or the other thing? And usually the instructor or somebody like myself will go, I've been doing this for a long time and I have never <laughs> heard that situation or that question. People can come up with the weirdest things to be worried about to keep them from sharing the gospel. And as I've said, you know, what's the, what, the number one question most people have is, what if they ask me something I don't know how to answer? And from my perspective, that's the best thing that can happen to you because you, you just give them that answer. You know, well, that's a very good question. I don't know the answer. Let me go find the answer. Can we meet again uh, at some point in the future? Now you've got two times to witness to them. And the thing that we fear the most is the thing that turns out to be probably the best thing that can happen to you to reach them. Because now you get two chances. And you can pray for them a lot during that time in between. And let God start working on their heart. Verse 5, By reason of my voice, by the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. And this one goes into the same thing. He's, he's working himself even worse. Okay, by reason of my voice, he's, he's confessing all the negative things in his life. And his bones are sticking to his skin. He's losing weight because he's not eating. He's, he's so concerned with what may happen that he's not living in where he's at. Verse six says, I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. And this is poetry. This is a, a, uh, their comparison. We don't really know what, the word, what kind of bird this word, word is for pelican. They, they're guessing at pelican. The only thing we know for sure is that it's an unclean bird. And I don't know why a pelican would be in the wilderness in the first place, because it's a water bird. <laughs> Why they picked pelican, I have no idea. Well, the one thing we know, the, the word is unclear in the, in the Hebrew as to what kind of bird this is. Many times when they describe animals or wood or very specialty words, they don't really know the, transla- the, full, the correct tr- translation for them. I'm going to have to use a computer term because I'm a computer person, you know. If somebody starts talking about a CPU, you know, that's pretty well known in our day, or RAM. But, you know, 20, 30 years ago, if you used those terms, nobody knew what you were talking about. Processor speeds, you know, you know, we, there's all kinds of words. I was listening to the radio one time in Baltimore, and they were talking. Drapery Company was the one that was doing their sponsored ads, and they had named all the different parts of the the drapes, the ballast, the, you know, all the different things about about the about the window dressing and the one of the people that was co-hosting was from australia she goes well we don't have those words in in australian and i'm thinking you have them you just don't know them okay this is what happens a lot of times with these words that are really technical words when they use a type of wood the the average scholar didn't care about wood <laughs> and all he wanted to know was the all you know the what does it mean? And they're telling, well, we want oak, pine, you know. And if you don't know those woods, it really don't mean a lot to you. The carpenter knows, cares very big about what wood he's using. Uh, the instrument, per, the person who's playing an instrument, cares what kind of wood their instrument's made out of. Uh, somebody like me says, well, who cares? You just make me a table. Well, <laughs> uh, well, I can make it out of pine, and you know, every time you write on it, it's going to put an insert, insert on your on your table. Well, I don't think I wanted that soft. Uh, <laughs> you know, or go to the opposite end and, and say, well, we'll make it out of this one that's like marble. That might just be a little too hard and too much cost. So when they start using these words, when we bring Leviticus and Numbers and all that, we brought out the fact that most of those words, we don't know exactly the animal that's being forbidden to, eat, to be eaten. All we know is it's some kind of bird, some kind of rodent usually uh, So we want to be careful, and when we get into the different translations on this, where pelican and vulture and and owl and all of that, it's not really a big deal. We know it's an unclean bird. All right? We do know that it was unclean. And then he says, and like an owl of the desert. So he's saying, I am like unclean things. And this is where he's getting, he's starting to get into depression so much is happening to me and i must deserve it because all these bad things are happening to me we saw job go through this he starts out saying i'm innocent i'm innocent and his friends are all saying oh you must deserve this and kind of at the end job's almost going well i must have done something i can't think of because my friends are right and everybody's telling me i I've, I've really been bad and that's when god starts stepping in and saying okay let's let's help you out let's help you through this and we can work ourselves into this place. We might be totally innocent of what we're going through. It's just a test to see, do we believe? And then we start concentrating on all the bad things and all the negative things. And the next thing you know, we're saying we deserve what we got. And I'm terrible. And I'm, you know, and all, I'm this, that, and the other thing. And we've turned ourselves into somebody who's totally worthless. And that God has not, cannot forgive because of how bad we've convinced ourselves we are. We need to be careful about this. It's easy for us to do this because we are sinners. We probably deserve anything that we that happens to us. If we really want to try to figure out why we should deserve it, there's we, things in our life that we deserve. And if we're not careful, we're going to condemn ourselves all the time and say, "Well, I deserve this, so I'm just going to I'm going to endure it because I deserve it." And then you lose focus that it's a test on some other area of your life. We need to be careful. The psalmist has worked himself into a frenzy, saying, "I'm an unclean thing," and that's what those two verses, that, that, those two phrases mean. I am unclean. I am un, not worthy to be able to come before God. And then his, he's leaving. He started out begging God to hear him, and he's working his way down into a really bad mental state at this point. And how many times have we done that kind of thing? you know we start going through something and then we start really starting to condemn ourselves instead of living in the forgiveness of Christ and we need to be able to understand God forgives us if I turn to him and I repent he forgives and I am not burdened by what he has forgiven he will then walk with me and talk with me walking with me leading me trying to help me come out of this depression that this psalm is heading into. And we want to be very careful about this. Verse 7 says, I watch and I am as a sparrow alone on the housetop. This has a very interesting point. How many times have I said we watch people in the church who are, who are walking away from God and before long they've isolated themselves from God's people. He is the sparrow alone on the housetop. Once you isolate yourself, he's already feeling God doesn't care for him. And then he's isolating himself from anybody who would be able to help help him get back with God. The greatest thing you can do when you're feeling like you don't deserve to be in church or it's the wrong place to be, get to the, get to a church or a Bible study as quick as possible when you're feeling that way. Because you need the body of Christ to edify and build you up. Very important. We need need each other. This is why Hebrews says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves and so much more as you see the day approaching. The worse things get for us as Christians, the more we need each other in ways that we don't even understand right now. This is something very important. We need each other. And we need ourselves, we'll need we need each other even more as things get bad. One of the things I talked to some friends of mine is how many people that own houses that are really big houses right now may, may be the ones that are helping church people get by when we start getting a lot of pressure. When people can't afford their house payment and we end up having to take each other in like they did in the first century because the need was there to reach out to each other. Not because they don't want to have a job, but they can't find a job because they're a Christian. Right now, we're not there. We're not at the place where we can't find work just because we're a Christian. We're getting closer. We're getting a place where if you're a Christian, it gets harder to be a Christian in the workplace. You're a target for some people because you're a Christian. But we're not quite at the place where because you're a Christian you lose your job. That happens in the Middle East. Many of those guys become Christians and they own their businesses and nobody will come and shop at their business because they're a Christian. They're a trader and they won't come to their shops. It happens and it will be happening probably in the near future. We need to be prepared to help each other out, to lift one another up, to minister to one another, and it may be in some very practical ways in the near future when everything is going wrong and we need to help one another with different expertises that may not be out there at that time. And we need to be ready. He is saying, I am unclean, I don't deserve it. I'm a sparrow on top of the, on top of the roof. I've isolated myself and I'm, al- I'm, well, he didn't say he's isolated himself, but he's saying I'm all alone. I'm all alone nobody to care for him and this is something we need to be careful about verse 8 says my enemies reproach me all the day and they that are mad against me are sworn against me his enemies are taunting him have you ever felt or maybe even literally had enemies taunting you really bad they their family members <laughs> but there's times when it feels like people are taunting you and, and making fun of you because you're a Christian. Or they're mocking? M- m- mocking, taunting. A lot of times it does, unfortunately, come from family members. Well, what's your God doing for you now? You know you, you, you know, you lost your job. How are you going to... And it's kind of funny watching them sometimes. You lose your job and they're like, well, where's your God now? Yeah. Uh, Again, God's not dead. Too one of the jurors went out who was a pastor, and the and the and the prosecuting uh, attorney goes, "Well, they, what's their God feel like now?" They took out their only sure sure uh, sure jurist, yeah. And the next thing you know, there, there's a Christian ple- replaces them that they don't know of that that's a Christian. It was really a neat neat way that God they did that. But uh, the world is always coming in and saying, "Well." What's your God been doing for you now when, when things seem to be bad? But you know, that's a great time when you go, all things work together for good. God's got a plan. Yeah. And when they see our faith, it kind of shakes them up because they are thinking they've been victorious and that you're, that you're going to turn against your God because things are turning, you know, looking bad. But to know that God's in control and that he's going to give you good, out of, uh, that good is going to come from it, gives you a confidence that they don't understand. What happens when the world reaches that, that breaking point where everything seems to be going wrong? They'll turn to suicide in worst case, but they'll turn to alcohol and drugs and, and anything else to try to forget how bad things are. And they watch Christians walk through it with the strength of God. It really freaks them out because they don't understand it. And then when they see you get to the other side and God gives you the blessing, it does things to them that they don't because they don't understand it they look at it and say, how could you do this? I used to love the question when I was going through a busy time when people look at me and say, how can you keep that smile on your face? How can you be so happy? How can you, you know, not be going crazy like the rest of us? Because God is here, God has given me peace. The world sees that difference in us. As long as we're trusting God enough to stay focused on him and not acting like them. If we fall down and act like them, then we've messed up the testimony and God has to start all over again. But when we pass that test and we stay focused on God and we come through with joy in our heart, without having turned to the depressants that they use to to get out of it, they notice. They notice. And sometimes they even ask, Why? How? How did you do this? I've been a Christian long enough that I can't even understand how non-Christians make it through any part of their life. Mm. But you know, the more I look at it, the more I realize they're not making it through their life. That's why they're turning to drugs and alcohol and all these other, you know, suicide and all these other things. Because they are not handling it without God. And we see suicides from people that we can never never really expect when a superstar singer or actor or athlete commits suicide when we look at him and say you had everything and we realize that they must not have had everything and they didn't have everything they didn't have God and that's what they needed to fill that void in their life and it says his enemies are taunting him all day long they that are mad and this literally is acting like a madman they that are acting like a madman against me are sworn against me. Have you ever had seen anybody acting like a madman or a madwoman? You look at them and you just want to laugh. I, I just want to laugh when I see that because they're acting totally insane. Screaming and hollering and all these other things. And it's like, are you serious? Are you really that upset about whatever it is that you're dealing with? And you just look at them and I just want to laugh. And you know what? If you actually laugh or smile, they get even madder at you. Well, <laughs> that's not funny. Well, it sure is funny to me. You, you've, you've lost total total control. It is hilarious to me. Because when we're able to walk with the peace of God in our life, that draws them crazy too. I used to have a lot of fun when I was working in the restaurant. Somebody would go totally insane and nuts on you. And people would watch because I stay, I was trained to stay professional and be kind and well, I'm sorry that you're not being able to be helped and all this. And they would leave and they go, I would have smacked them. I would have done this to them. I'm going, well, it's not an option. I had to be nice to them. But that impresses them that you can be nice to them. But, you know, it's so important for us because that's part of our witness that we end up being kind to those who don't deserve it. And how, why are we kind to those who don't deserve it? because God is kind to us and we don't deserve it. But it's important for us, if we truly see ourselves the way God sees us and how he treats us, then we can be able to work with others to treat them in the same manner. But see, that's the value of seeing growth. I am loving seeing people grow. All I'm doing is teaching the Word of God. I mean, God is using me to teach the Word of God, but people are hearing it and applying it to their lives, and that blesses me because I get to watch people grow, and it challenges me to go deeper and and further in. But you know, it is very important that we just learn to trust God. This is us being like Christ to others and showing kindness and love. And it's very important that we do it. And it's not being used as a tool to manipulate. It's, It's genuine love for them saying, because I feel sorry for people that act like that. I really do. I feel sorry for people who are... Are mean and nasty because they're just going to reap it with most of the people that that they do it back to. They're going to get back the, what they what they start, and then it's going to escalate from there. It just makes them miserable, and I don't want to be miserable myself. I like being in God and being fairly happy and joyful, because that's what He does for us. Yeah, and even drains a person of energy when they put so much into anger and bitterness. And it tightens up their muscles and they end up physically sore as well so it's it's very important how are we looking at living our life are we looking at what God is doing for us or are we focused on the negatives of what's going on are we looking at trying to live out his life and bless people or are we going to give them what they deserve which is and if we start giving them what they deserve God might just let a little bit of what we deserve come upon us as well because he's want to say, hey, his, his statement is, if you don't forgive others, he doesn't forgive you. And that doesn't mean heaven or hell. It just means the response that we have on this earth, if we don't forgive others, he's going to let the consequences flow a lot freely, more freely on us. All right, we're going to close in prayer here. And, Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you that you're working with us. Help us to be a light to the world that, that around us. Help us to let you shine forth out of us and all that we do and say and that we will just lean on you and and trust in you and that know that you are our savior you're the one that brought us out of our sin and you have made us your children and you've got special things for us to do in your son's name amen